gentlemen and corner kick fam live through three very different parts of the world uh we have a sort of emergency edition of corner kick because it's only monday as surprising as that is and we've already had one of the busiest news weeks in world soccer certainly the busiest news week so far of the calendar year 2023 and no i'm not talking about cristiano ronaldo finally scoring his first goal for al nasser um, you know, so he's currently at a, a, a ratio of one goal for every 250 million euros in salary. A penalty, uh, talking, by uh, the way. Yeah. <laughs> it had yeah, to you be. Can, you, can, uh, you, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, right? But um, we've got financial news. We've got sanctions. We've got managers getting sacked. We've got esteemed managers throwing hissy fits. Uh, we'll get to that all. But as always, I'm Nathan Strauss, joined by a man who did not basically cuss out uh, one of his club's most esteemed reporters. It is Nick Govindan. Yeah, certainly uh, I am not coming on this podcast saying that I'm not going to answer any of your questions because I don't like what you guys wrote about me, even though uh, you guys didn't actually write anything about me, which was what happened in the case of James Pierce and Jurgen Klopp uh, after the Wolves game this weekend. But yeah, certainly this is going to be a pretty big, uh, sizable Man City-focused episode of our podcast, I think. And there is a lot to comb over here. But before we get into Man City, we're also joined by a man who is not amongst one of the Americans who is now without uh, an American head coach at Leeds. Uh, Caleb Rhodes, you're, you might be good at football manager, but you're not quite a Jesse Marsh. No, I'm, I'm perhaps better than Jesse Marsh. I've never been sacked by a yeah, Bundesliga you're, you're club. Actually, you're actually employed right now, so... Yeah, so so take that, um, employment. Yeah, uh, Caleb Rhodes is no Yank Lampard, as Jesse Marsh was being uh, coined at the end of his Leeds tenure. But, but, Yank but, Lampard, but, but, that's Yank. tough. <laughs> yeah, Yank, I know. Yank I mean, Lampard. although I do think it's very interesting that uh, you know the US MNT job right now is uh, certainly in a position of flux, and you never know. Uh, Dude, if you're Weston McKenney, what the hell are you thinking right well, now? Well, that's what I'm saying, though. <laughs> it's, it's, it's always weird to me, and I do think that the sacking was totally justified, but it's always baffling to me when managers get sacked right after the conclusion of a transfer window. When like, been you know, Espiritu Santo at Spurs was a right, good example right. of this. We're talking about, like, five days after the conclusion of the transfer window when you spend a significant amount to bring in an American, and, you know, that's only a rarity because of how many other Americans are in this league squad, lead squad rather. So it's a little bit, it's a little weird. And also, well, they, and, they and you outplayed Nottingham for like, I think it was the issue is like, you're playing, you're and one if of Patrick, if Patrick Bamford didn't, you know, go Patrick Bamford, it's a totally different game. Yeah. I guess Weston McKenney's view is he'd rather play in the championship than Serie B, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think on the, on the leads, the ownership front, like that's still like an American ownership. It's the 49ers consortium. So from an American POV, you know, they still have some remnants there for Weston to yeah, pile around I, with. I have an idea though, Nick, I have an idea. 
They should hire Jesse Marsh back on Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> He's gonna tomorrow. Uh, the announcement is gonna be that they've uh, hired an interim coach named Messi Jarsh. Yeah, who do yeah, they Messi play Jarsh. next? Leeds, Man United. Uh, United on Wednesday. Oh God, they should have fired him after <laughs> they, they the United actually, game. They play United. They actually play United twice in a row. But then uh, they play. They play Everton in. Uh, yeah, you're 18. You don't want to play. You don't want to play Everton right now. Sean, Dude, and, Sean, and Southampton right after. Honestly, ah, uh, that's tough. Sean Dyche would have eaten Jesse Marsh alive. Let's be honest. Dude, Sean Dyche. Before we get onto Man City, which is basically the polar opposite of Sean, uh, 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 Sean Dyche, one of the most likable guys in all of soccer. I think I'm super happy that he's found a job, um, and I think he'll do well. I think I think he'll. Uh, really bond well with with Everton fans, but he just did something to Arsenal that no other team has done, and that's um, it was one of the worst watches of any soccer game I've seen this year, and that's totally a credit to Sean Dyche and his game plan. Arsenal have always struggled against him, and uh, yeah, it's crazy to think that Arsenal's two losses on the year have come to Manchester United in uh, September, and then to an Everton team playing their first game under a new manager, but uh, that's neither here nor there. Dude, sometimes uh, it's difficult to play like absolute crap. <laughs> like like the other team <laughs> being absolute crap. Yeah, no, honestly, Nick experienced this really well with um was it at Letty Nick uh, yeah, in the Champions League? It was they basically put the, the ball was in play for I think like 41 minutes, which was the lowest figure for Liverpool all season. And it was pure uh what do they call it? Uh the master of the dark darts, is that what they called him? Yeah. Uh, Yep. Yeah, I just also think when you've hit rock bottom, like that's like a scary proposition to like face. Like Man U and Arsenal played them were like definitely on their way down and Everton have probably gone beneath rock bottom in a lot of ways. Yeah, this so, is like the Undertaker sitting up at the end yeah. of WrestleMania. I would just say on Sean Dyche, like the Brexit football thing gets brought up a lot. You know, it's joked about whatnot. Sean Dyche, like you said, Nathan, is an incredible coach who has this like brand now, like I, we associate his football with like the brand of Sean Dyche. And anytime a coach achieves that sort of dynamic, particularly with like Everton being home to like a lot of former Burnley players, like Tarkovsky, who scored the winner, McNeil. And James like, McNeil, who is trying to another who assisted the winner, which sucks. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> sucks. But, but I think, you know, Everton are going to, I I now think, you know, they're going to come out of the doldrums and Dyche is going to be able to uh, facilitate a great escape here. Yeah. My, uh, my, before we got to Man City, my favorite tweet of the weekend was, oh, it's, it's something along the lines of, oh, hell not. They gave Sean Dyche a BLM midfield um, because Amadou Anana was uh, terrific for the Tatis. But um, on the, at the very other end of the table, the sort of bombshell story of the day uh, is that Mansi have are, are now facing four or they've been under investigation by the Premier League for four years, and they're facing basically a decade of charges surrounding everything from their finances to their transfers to their academy to the way they paid their staff. It is almost Watergate-esque, I think, in its scale and impact. And there's a lot to discuss about it. You know, they haven't made mention of any potential penalties, but... I, I think we should begin this discussion by thinking about how interesting it is that these allegations have come out or this investigation has come out and not a single person is surprised at all. 
because it's something that we've all, I guess, recognized and made fun of and bantered about since the 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 the, the Pellegrini era. Well, I think even before that, right, when Mancini came in and you said, Nathan, that, you know, the way that they pay their staff has come under scrutiny as well. One of the big, you know, accusatory points in the information that got released today was that they were making sort of like under the table extra payments to Roberto Mancini to entice him to stay with Manchester City at the beginning of his tenure and like throughout his tenure as well. I think, yeah, no one is surprised. We all know that Man City breached FFP, even to the point that, remember, like, at the beginning of 2020, like before COVID, they were banned from European football due to, you know, their financial um, irregularity, shall we say, or breach of conduct in the financial field. And so this is, I think, has been a long time coming. I think certainly that case that was dismissed by Cass in uh, late 2020 or mid 2020 uh, played a part. Well, it was reduced. Reduced, right. Um, Played a part in, you know, the Premier League sort of instigating a a more robust investigation and just like the scale of this i think is important to discuss too this investigation allegedly you know the premier league released their statement today has been taking place over the past four years so towards the beginning of the guardiola tenure somewhat you know pre-covid and all of that and i think you know the premier league we're coming off of a transfer window where the premier league by far and away spent the most money of any league in the world i think over a billion on transfers uh you know city are certainly scrutinized when it comes to the players that they bring in and how much profit you know they report whether or not that is in line with how much they spend which i think it's clear that isn't the case that that's reported in a, in a truthful way but i think the amount it's over a hundred breaches of conduct that were released today over a hundred breaches of conduct and that's think, the real centurions. They're, they're going to be known as the real centurions, right? Right, exactly. And I, that is just an astounding amount of, <laughs> of breaches of conduct. And I think we're talking like people are saying, you know, evoking this in the same terminology as they would Calciopoli in terms of potentially, you know, Man City getting relegated or a transfer ban, all of what happened with Chelsea. But I think there's no way that the Premier League can there's no way first of all we should say there's no way that city can take this to Kaz. it it looks like this is just going to be um an independent commission that's going to punish them via the premier league and i just don't think there's any way that the hammer doesn't come down on them here like this has been a four-year-long investigation that has uncovered mountains mountains and mountains of irregularities and wrongdoings caleb and i just think there's no escaping some severe punishment here for the most successful club in the premier league over the past five years yeah, and I think the point you made about them not being able to appeal to to Cass in Switzerland because this is a unlike the previous one, which is UEFA, um, this is you know just a Premier League based thing is huge because I think you know Cass has pretty clearly been kind of a get out of jail like mostly free but with an inconsequential fine. Um, that's kind of been their policy so far, and it's allowed teams like you know City and PSG. Um, who simply weren't producing, you know, naturally, I guess, the revenues necessary to justify their spending under FFP to kind of run rampant. And I think this is a really, you know, important test case um, in England, because unlike even say like a Chelsea that were obviously bought by a billionaire and, you know, kind of pumped a lot of money in, 
you know, Manchester City have always been like a very distant second club in Manchester and they had no real, you know, profile um, at all, frankly, um, outside of England until this ownership change. And so I think it's important to show that this is not, you know, the way that, you know, football clubs should be run. But I do think it's interesting that, you know, honestly, in the past few years, it's I think it's an indictment of, you know, the soccer system and ecosystem as a whole right now that we're seeing so much of the sport litigated in the courts, you know, whether it's, you know, the Juventus financial things last week, whether it's, you know, frankly, Barcelona having to go secretly to a court based in Barcelona to get them to be able to register register Gavi. Like, I think we've clearly reached a point where the system isn't functioning correctly. Um, And that's like, I'm not sure. I mean, I could just be not having followed the sport long enough, but it does seem like we're looking to like legal recourse for all these problems a lot more frequently than, than we used to. Well, I think, I think you guys both mentioned Chelsea. um, And I think it's interesting because there's a lot of talk about FFP in the last couple of weeks as a result of Chelsea signing players to seven and a half and eight year contracts. And, you know, we've talked about like the way, transfer fees can be amortized in, over the duration of a contract. So for accounting purposes, you know, you're only, you're only on the hook for each year, you know, whatever the, the percentage of the transfer fee is that's paid over that amount of time. That is sort of like a very, that's sort of like no different to me in my mind than a tax loophole, et cetera, et cetera. But I do think that like looking at, we, we sort of joked about the, the Mikhailo Mudrik deal and how it's insane that a player who, had played like fewer than what 30 or 40 Ukrainian Premier League games who at the beginning of the season at a market value of like 25 million. It's insane this player can go for 100 million, even the Anthony deal for United, because it upsets the marketplace. And Nick, you made the good point about talking how the Premier League outspent the other five, the other big four or the other five, big five leagues in Europe combined this winter window. I think that is incredibly concerning for the game because there's definitely a disparity between like this is what i was trying to hint at this morning um, you know over text as well which is if these clubs in the premier league are able to spend so much money why aren't they winning the champions league every single year so it does seem like the the present of the financial realities of english soccer and sort of european soccer as a whole the soccer ecosystem is in desperate need of a of a really really big reset and, you know, also we, we sort of talked about how Juventus, you know, they would just buy every young Italian player and then loan them out to make a profit. I think this could be really big for establishing a precedent about how football groups operate, because what Man City have done, which is very clever and again, you know, totally legal, if not against the spirit of the game completely, is every single player that the City group sells goes through Man City. So Man City will sign all of these South American wonder kids, loan them out to Hirona for two years, and then sell them for a profit. And the profit goes on Man City's books, but Girona doesn't really reap the rewards of that at all. And then City can spend higher, it just increases their ceiling. So it, it, this is, there's so much at stake here, I think. And uh, it's, it's, I'm very fascinated, and I certainly hope the punishment is, is fairly severe. I think a transfer ban and a docking of points and maybe even an asterisk on some of those titles 
would be uh, would be more than fair, Nick. But I know uh, I know you might have loftier goals. No, and I think those punishments I think would all be in line with the charges that we're seeing here. I think go, going back to like what was released this morning, there's just like you said, Nathan, decades of wrongdoing and alleged cheating and breaching of financial norms. And I think you need to like the fact that it's this is just going to be going through independently the Premier League commission, whoever they appoint, you know, oversee the punishment phase of this, I think is super important. It means that the league is taking this extremely seriously and that there is going to be a sizable fee or punishment or docking of points. I think the docking of points could be certainly on the table. I, I think you might actually end up seeing that, you know, Man City get, get docked like 15 to 20 points and fall out of the Champions League in European places. I mean, I just don't see any possible way that they avoid a sanction here, which is huge because, like you said, Nathan, Man City, the City Football Group are building a sort of conglomerate, a sort of empire globally when it comes to soccer around the world. You know, we know they have clubs in Australia. They're looking at a base of talent uh, in South America and Brazil. We know they, uh, they, they look for players in Brazil as well, the Kaiki signing being their most recent one. Obviously, they have clubs in NYCFC uh, in America. They were sniffing around Toulouse in France. In they've Lisa. got Saudi Arabia. They've got South Korea as well. Yeah, exactly. So the fact that you can – it seemed for a long time that the city football group, particularly after that 2020 uh, court experience where that got reduced, were untouchable, right? They were just too big to fail. And I think this is the first instance in which we're seeing a Man City, a PSG, um, you know, a Newcastle United now feel very much like they can be touched by the rules and regulations of the game. And I think it, this is a huge turning point moment for where we are in the game, like Caleb was pointing out. And I just hope, you know, for the betterment of the game, that they do get a punishment that fits everything that has alleged to have been done, you know. Yeah, I guess the question I have now is, you know, how long is it going to take to actually, you know, adjudicate this case? Like, right. are we talking a matter of months or is this something that's really going to take like 18 months? It seems like if there is a points deduction, it's going to happen this season. That's what I was reading. That that sort of like in-game, in-season punishment would come into effect before the end of the season. So I think they're, they might adjudicate this relatively quickly. I think the question is going to be there's a big Pep Guardiola question in my mind about whether or not, you know, this affects him. Uh, his... Well, yeah, I mean, you go back to his quote from last year, right? Right, where he said that if City were lying to him about, you know, the way that their finances were conducted, he would walk and he has absolute faith in the club. And if they would lie to him, you know, he would, you know, find something else to do. But I, Caleb, I think on your right, question... And that was after, and that was after he, you know, defended the club after the UEFA ruling and after, you know, they were kind of somewhat vindicated um, by Cass when he claimed, or he didn't claim, he said that, you know, everyone deserves to apologize to him and to the club. And so I think, <laughs> and, and like, I think that's very much like a Guardiola thing, but I also think it was like sincere. Like I, 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 believe, I take his words at face value, right? Like I think he yeah. received assurances that there was nothing untoward going on in the back. And to some extent, I think, you know, he's probably averting his eyes a little bit. But I actually do think that if this goes south, he will 
leave. Um, yeah, I, I just think, so. I think so as well. Yeah, I just think it's funny. Like, if this really does go the way I think we perhaps hope it does, <laughs> I just think it's hilarious that they will have spent like billions of dollars to have never scored at the Tottenham yeah. Hotspur Stadium. Um, <laughs> Uh, that's, yeah, it, it is. It is sort of funny that this news, this news has come out in the wake of Spurs getting absolutely, or sorry, in the wake of City getting kind of battered at Spurs, of a ground where they have not scored a goal. They're winless in their last five. There, Spurs, for whatever reason, have just absolutely owned Man City, um, especially away from home, which is just hilarious. Um, it's certainly been a bad weekend for for City fans. I think it's important that we talked about as well, you know, the fact that it's not just Man City's reputation that's on the line here and sort of their status in the Premier League, but in this era of nation states owning teams, this serves as, I think, a, a super important warning flag for the perils of um over-involvement or duplicitness or whatever you want to say. Because we look at what Newcastle have done so far, and I think in general, their spending has been exactly in line with where we would think. Like, they haven't made any extraordinarily expensive purchases. They've bought smart. They've bought generally from, um, you know, from abroad with their with their big money moves. But you look at how City started off when they first received that, that big, you know, cash injection, and it was the, the Adam Johnson era, the Bakary Sanya era. They didn't become sort of Galactico-esque in their finances until they got comfortable with where they were. And when you think about, you know, the reputation of the Emir, uh, you know, uh, of Sheikh Mansour, like there's a lot more at stake, I think, politically as well. And, uh, I'm sort of curious how their legacy is affected by this too, because everyone knows who is pulling the strings in the city football group, right? Like everyone knows it's very public. Same with Newcastle, um, you know, in recent years, same with Chelsea since 2000 and whatever it was, 2006 when Roman came in or 2004. No, that Newcastle uh, third kit is just for style. Everybody loves no, right. a white uh, shirt with some thing, green. Right? You know, it's, um, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's, it's not a secret. It's an open secret. So it's, yeah. uh, yeah, that's, that's sort of my main point, I guess. Yeah. I think what we, what we can hope for is that this is, you know, it puts a bit of a check against, you know, for, yeah, the Newcastle ownership, for instance, that is like by far the richest ownership of any sports team in the world, I think, um, to not spend, you know, like 700 million for you know five average players from la liga next year or something like that um and i think we are reaching the point where it's become so evident that the premier league has just a gross amount of money in comparison to the other leagues um that this this is like necessary to help stymie that a little bit there was some other news today i don't know if you guys saw that um sixth street uh and some other sort of large funds might be putting some money into the Bundesliga. Yeah. And I so I think there's there there are other responses. This comes after you know like the, the CDC JP deal in La Liga or JP Morgan with Barcelona. Like the other leagues have kind of picked up that they need to kind of catch up. Um and I think what this does is it prevents the kind of 
you know, ridiculous influx of money from ownership that then feeds, you know, the giant TV deals and will hopefully, you know, over a period of years, perhaps help to restore some parity. I think that's like, that's what we have to hope for, right? Whether that pans out, I think is obviously the open question right now and probably depends on what the actual punishment City Receive is at the end of the day. Right. I think that's the big point, Caleb, is we hope that this is a huge check and balance on clubs like Manchester City, but it's really going to come down to how this is litigated, right? If, if it just ends up being, you know, a slap on the wrist, which I would deem to be like a one to two year transfer ban and, you know, a several hundred million dollar fine of some kind to be paid out over the course of a few years like that simply would be would be like a, a drop in the bucket for the city football group who'd be able to sustain two years without transfers I assume Pep Guardiola might stay for a year maybe might leave maybe might stay the duration of his contract but it is really all going to come down to the severity of the punishment that we see from this well the important thing too is that you know finances and fines as we about with previous you know, CAS cases, money is so immaterial to these right. ownership groups, and particularly the petrol states. Um, you know, I, I think there are issues with private ownership in soccer in general, but at the same time, I think the Cronkies have slightly more finite resources than um, you know the an Amir or a Sheikh, et cetera, et cetera, or the nation of Saudi Arabia, et cetera. Um, but I, this, I, want, I think we should close with You just this. raise the uh, price of oil by like two cents for a day. I know, and, you, and you pay it, yeah. But like, again, again, if a fine is the punishment, then what you're saying is basically if you can afford to spend, it's the same with speeding tickets, right, or parking tickets. There are people in New York who will just park their car on Fifth Avenue, not maybe not Fifth Avenue, but you know what I'm saying. They'll park their car, eat the ticket because it's just cheaper or it's, it's such a drop in the bucket for them. Um, but I do think, you know, you mentioned the Bundesliga. And I got into it on Twitter this weekend because one of the Amer- bigger American Arsenal accounts was tweeting, you know, about Everton and saying, you know, Everton are now my enemy for life. They play rubbish soccer. It's antithetical to the idea of soccer. They are my number one enemy. And I just sort of tweeted like, hey, man, like, just so you know, like, there are, you know, petrol states that are owning clubs that's the common enemy here um, rather than, you know, one man, Sean Dyche, you know, playing some anti-football to get a result. What do you guys think about the idea of a public private ownership mandate a la the 50 plus one rule in Germany? Because frankly, what the Premier League has done is incredibly American, right? It's like they have fully embraced the free market and waited for everyone else to catch up, but it just hasn't happened that way yet. I think well, except just... American sports have, you know, like the cost caps. Yeah. yeah. I think that Caleb is sitting on a point that I think we've all talked about somewhat in different forms and fashions where we have simply hit the point of no return. And we hit that actually somewhere around 2010, 2011, when QSI and the Etihad group came into the soccer market. And I think the true point of no return was the kingdom of Saudi Arabia buying Newcastle. Like at a certain point, you can retroactively do some checks and balances and i think this this the example of what we're talking about today is a huge retroactive check and balance but at a certain point i do think you know qatar and saudi arabia have just i just think about like and this is like totally 
sort of off the off the boil a little bit. I was thinking about that video of Manchester City's like team of twenty high profile lawyers like walking their way into CAS in twenty twenty, and just like the sheer power and resources that are at, disp- at the disposal of these enterprises and countries, if you will. They, they need think, to call Saul Goodman. That's who they. That's who they need. Right. Exactly. And I just think. You, I, I would hope that there's a Jesus. way, like there's a form and fashion for there to be some sort of regulations and th- this to be like a true momentum shifter in the game of soccer. But I also, part of me thinks like we're a little too far gone when it comes to the free market. Yeah, yeah well, I think, money for the league. yeah, I think that honestly, one of the issues too is because the leagues operate so independently, it makes it difficult to have a kind of like group response. And I also get the leagues are in competition with each other. But UEFA is clearly too weak to actually, you know, prevent the degradation of this sporting system. It almost leads me to leave that like the top five leagues or so need to sort of form a like cartel, basically. A super to help league? Create some sta- I mean, like- I think there's, argue- there's an argument that they already do, though, Caleb, right? right? Like, I think that... Um, no, but more know- formally in terms of like having you know, like doing the, the TV rights or something like more collectively or something like that, because I think well, that's right. Well, is the, is the sort of Benelux league, you know, that sort of hypothetical, is that sort of what you're talking about where it's like maximizing profit at the, of the traditional consumer? Because I don't think it's a bad idea. I just think it's very tricky. It was the Premier League, their piece of the pie when in order to raise the, value of other leagues it's, it's a soccer is a dumb zero-sum game financially yeah i mean i haven't i haven't fully thought this through but i think it's pretty clear that we're getting to the <laughs> point where like there's just going to be a top one league that maybe won't even win the champions league every year but otherwise just has such unequal resources that the rest will just become kind of sad right um, I think that, and that... i don't think the premier league wants that at the end mm. of the day I don't think they do. And for me, like the ominous thing looming over all of this is that the Super League won in court the other week. Like Andrea Agnelli's baby is you know, back on the table and could be discussed in the near future. Like Barcelona and Real Madrid are still very much for the creation of a Super League that would be, in that case, you know, independently governed by those teams. I do think that comes back. And I do think that this Man City case is going to be a huge adjudicator of how quickly that that concept comes back into play as well. Yeah, well, uh, you know, this is what happens when you have, when your governing body is like the weakest and most corrupt simultaneously, you know, organization in the planet. Like, truly, we've, we've talked about it before, but you guys know the picture of the FIFA, you know, the FIFA boardroom? How it looks basically like the, uh, like, okay. like, a, like a Bond villain player. That's a strange love. Like, yeah, Jesus. like, look, you know, when FIFA started accepting sponsorships from companies and nations and not just, uh, you know, accepting sponsorships, but, you know, hosting tournaments and effectively, you know, spending billions of dollars or accepting billions of dollars to four nations in the name of profit, they sort of lost the plot there as well. So um, right, I think that's the point. Who, who, do, who do we trust to save us? Like there's no one. Right. It's certainly not. It's certainly not Arsene Wenger and it, you know his uncontested board of FIFA at FIFA because it's FIFA is fundamentally like a, I actually wrote a paper about this uh, junior year about how FIFA has you know 
built this legacy of, of soft power that's just completely illegitimate. And, you know, I joke, we joke about like hard power as well. And, it's, I, you know, obviously it's not like the Premier League is sending in foot soldiers to, uh, to the Etihad to sit in the seats. It could finally be full. Um, but, you know, the consequences of losing points, I think, is as close to being quote unquote invaded or sanctioned, whatever the case may be. That's pretty much as, as close as you're going to get. So maybe it is the leagues because also there's no real players union either. Um, and there's no coaches union uh, and there's no real, you know, because of the nation, the, the nature of promotion and relegation, there isn't like a fixed board of, there isn't even a fixed board of, of governing bodies in the premier league, even though they do confer every once in a while. So Nick, I know you have a hard out. Is there anything else that you want to hit on before you go uh, off to, to your rehearsal? No, just that it's, I think it's ironic that Nathan and I paid a visit to the Etihad this summer and then, you know, not <laughs> six months later, it's all falling apart. Uh, they, they, they call us Baron Corbin because we bring the darkness. You know, mm-hmm. who I really feel bad for is uh, Harold, that Swedish fan, you know, the one who, uh, the, 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 the mean guy, like the sad, happy old man who's a big city fan. This must be devastating for him. But, uh, Caleb, anything else Anything else for you? No. <laughs> wow. Well, I think I just thought on a, on a final <laughs> note, <laughs> this, this, this news came out on a Monday, which is always relatively a slow day uh, in terms of, you know, big soccer news and commentary and things like that. Pep Guardiola faces the media for the first time on Friday ahead of uh, the slate of Premier League games this weekend, so... I think we all kind of await to hear what he has to aren't say. We, aren't we a little disappointed that it's Pep Guardiola and not Jose Mourinho? So I feel like we could he could have a, a, an all-time an all-timer. You know, it would be an all-timer. No, no, I his thing, think... Jose's still going to give a crazy interview ahead <laughs> of whatever Roma gave this weekend. And he's going to be like, let's put the game on, on the side here. He's like, you see what's going on over there? Football. That's, yeah, Harry. So... Uh, as he should. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I... <laughs> Um, yeah, it's, it's also interesting, you know, just thinking about, I know we have to wrap it up because I keep thinking of new more, new points as, uh, as this conversation ticks on, but, you know, Pep Guardiola having been formed at the club that is arguably the most fan controlled of major clubs in the world to now be transformed and a club that also represents a sort of nation state, if you will, of Catalonia, um, to be in this position now where it is totally out of his hands. It's a very interesting career parallel there. Um, you know, it's almost like going from Barca to Bayern to City is the conclusion of one giant sort of corporate villain arc. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, we'll keep an eye on it. But yeah, I think we just uh, until we next time, we, yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, the Champions League is back next week. Uh, Alhamdulillah, it's been a long time since we have meaningful midweek soccer. I mean... There's obviously still meaning in watching Juve Salernitana tomorrow or City or, or United Leeds on Wednesday, but not the same. So when we talk, when we talk to you next, we'll have a uh, Champions League, Europa League knockout tie stuff to talk about, as well as uh, Bundesliga watch, which is real interesting right now. Um, you know, shout out our boys in uh, red and red and yellow in the stadium in the forest. But I have been Nathan Strauss. Caleb Reds. Nick Vinden. I don't know why I just had like a. Nick, you sure? <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure. <laughs>
That's my I name. can tell if that was like a Zoom audio glitch or whether you were really just dwelling on that. Well, because my, my, I was hovering over the stop record button and I was like focused on that and not focused on saying my name. But yes, this is in fact. I'm Ron Burgundy. Yeah. <laughs> we, will, uh, we will see you all next time.